Welcome to Offline Thoughts, where I talk about online personalities, cultural events, and popular movements. I'm really glad that you're listening, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome to today's episode. Um, as you might notice, the episode introduction is different today. Uh, and it's different because, as you noticed, or might have noticed, I took a week off last week because I just started a new job and honestly it was too much. And while I've been away, I've thought about whether the first few episodes I've done reflect the themes that I want to talk about. And I would say that I don't know if it's truly reflective of what I am, because in a sense, I'm not really online. I'm, you know, as I might have mentioned a few episodes, I, my guilty pleasure is TikTok. So every now and again, I'll log on to TikTok and I'll have a few hours uh, perusing for the podcast. But I initially started the the episode because I had been on TikTok and I'd been thinking about how TikTok on the one hand, and also this is just reflective of other, other mediums, it's really good in the sense that it exposes you to things that you wouldn't have come across before. You log on there and you're scrolling and the algorithm will, you know, will kind of try to learn who you are, but in the process sometimes it also just spits out a random thing that you never would have come across. And that's really good for people who, you know, haven't seen a lot of the world or haven't been to many countries or haven't just come in contact with different ideas than they have in their immediate environment. So it's good in the sense that it exposes you to things that you might otherwise not have come across. But then again, the nature of the way that you consume the that you consume the information on the platform is that it's really, really quick when you think about it. So you'll see a video that really stops and makes you think. And sometimes the reason that it makes you think is not that it's a particularly deep thing or it's like a shocking thing or it might just be like an idea you literally have never thought about before. So I remember on one of these occasions, I think I was on TikTok. In fact, I'm, I'm 99% sure I was on TikTok. And I came across the concept of, of black men frolicking. And basically it was like a really simple idea. It was just showing black men, like just regular typical black men running through like these beautiful fields with like flowers and like plants. And the idea was that they were just having a frolicking day. It's a day where they just wanted to engage in just a joyful experience of something like running through a field just because they felt like it with like no need to explain what like there's no need for you to explain why joy is important. So the idea was that they were just experiencing that joyful moment, being lighthearted, being silly just because it's a nice thing to do. And I remember at the time, I just thought it was such a lovely idea. I still do. I just thought it was so nice. And I would never, I had never thought about the joy of black men in that way, in that lighthearted way, or even stopped to consider the fact that, you know, I don't know if we allow them space or allow men in general space to just have that frolicking moment of like just running through the water, like going to the beach, for example, and just like running, running to the coastline, running to the water just because it feels good to do or like running through the field as in this case. And so it wasn't a particularly profound video. It was only profound in the sense that I'd never considered the joy of the joyful experience of running through a field and how I'd never, when I, when I close my eyes and I think, and if somebody was to say to me, imagine somebody frolicking through a field, I would say the, the, a black man would be the last person I would think about. And that's why that video struck me, you know, kind of made me think about why that is, you know, and what does it mean about the standards I hold for black men in my life? And what does it mean about the expectations that they that they face? So that's one of the fantastic things about being on social media is that when you're scrolling, you're really coming across these really nice, nice kernels of thoughts that you wouldn't have been able to come across by yourself, because maybe you're surrounded by similar people as you are, because that's the nature of 
you know, the people we surround ourselves, usually they reflect ourselves and what we know and what we believe and what we've also come across. So it's very, it's like a natural echo chamber and it's very limiting in that sense. But then when you think about the way that information is consumed on the whole, is that you do have those moments of inspiration where you come across something, you know, simple or extraordinary, whatever it is that makes you think. But then the nature of scrolling is that it's gone in like a second later. And you might be on social media, let's say you're on TikTok or Instagram, whatever it is. Let's say you spend an hour on there scrolling. Like the average video, I haven't looked up the exact length, but the average video is probably like 30 seconds to a minute at most. You know, maybe the long ones are like three minutes, but honestly, I don't think most people are watching three minute videos. So if you're watching, if you're on there for um, an hour and you're watching 30 second videos, then you've probably consumed like 30 videos at least in that hour. And which means that even if you come across 30 like small or simple or interesting ideas, or even if it's just like one of those hack videos, you're not going to remember the most of them by the time you go to sleep at night, especially if you do it every day. It's impossible for us to consume you know, all those pieces of information, those micro pieces of information on a daily basis on a very regular basis, shall we say, and retain that information. So it's almost as though the more that you're consuming, on the one hand, yeah, you're having those momentary explosions of inspiration where you come across something, but then the nature of of the way the platform is consumed means that you're immediately, you immediately forget or soon after you forget. So if I was to say to you, for example, tell me five amazing things you've come across TikTok in your last session, I would say most of us probably wouldn't be able to remember because of that scrolling thing. And obviously, as we know, and I think I covered this in the episode where I talk about escaping the algorithm, the scrolling is there by design. It's there to keep you engaged as long as possible. The negative byproduct of that, though, is that we're not retaining that information. So going back to my introduction, talking about why I started the episode in the first place or the podcast in the first place, was that it occurred to me that actually you do most of your thinking most of your best thinking, most of your thoughtful thinking, most of the thinking where you're really thinking about how things connect, when you're thinking about how they impact people, how they impact you, you know, how they impact your behavior, I would say most of that thinking is really done offline. It's done when you're talking with your friends about something that you saw maybe on social media or just in real life, or maybe just when you're at home by yourself and you don't have anything on that day and you're just sitting on the couch and you're having thoughts, you know. So that's when you're able to go deep into thoughts and really interrogate the kinds of thoughts that you have, why you have those thoughts, how they came to form in your head, who influenced you to have those thoughts. So yeah, so initially the podcast came about because I thought actually we would all do better or it would improve our critical thinking skills or just even our thinking skills for us to be able to carve out time offline to have like a thought process that has a defined beginning middle and end and isn't erased by the next thought because the next thought comes across comes like 30 seconds later so all this to say is that i'll probably be changing my introduction for next week and that i won't necessarily change the subject matter of the things that i talk about but the introduction definitely will change to reflect that so with all that being said, I'd like to move on to this week's uh, subject, which is the feminization of black men. And this episode idea, actually, you know, it had been on my notes for a long time. And then I watched, well, actually, my cousin begged me, like literally begged me to watch this video um, with Cat Williams. And Cat Williams was on this platform called um, Club Shay Shay, which I hadn't come across before. 
And basically it was like, not exactly an expose, but he basically gone on because one of his fellow comedians had gone on there and basically made a claim that he disagreed with. And then that seemed to sort of rile him up so much that he wanted to go onto the, onto the show to like clear things up. But on the in the midst of going onto the show, he really like, he, he talked about everything and everybody. And that video did some crazy numbers. I think it had like 54 million views last time I saw, which, you know, it's pretty impressive. Considering the video is like three hours, it's, I think it's two hours and 46 minutes. So for people to like tune in for that long, obviously means that he is very captivating. So anyway, when I was watching the video, um, and just to not sound like a complete waste man, like I did have it on the background while I was like doing like other sort of life stuff. So I wasn't just sitting there watching it. Uh, that's a lot of time to spend on on YouTube. But what he talked about in the episode, or one of the things he talked about in uh, um, on the show was the f idea that black men are feminized in the comedic uh, circle. So he talked about how when comedians start out and they're really funny, they're often approached by nefarious organizations that want to represent them and they offer them a deal where you know they'll sign them on they'll be a comedian like a professional comedian they'll get paid well and they're on the treadmill to basically having what he described as what he describes as the comedian package which is where you get like film deals you get like specials and you get like other sort of uh, professional perks and privileges because you've now essentially arrived or you've been tapped on the shoulder as somebody who's like the next next best thing or next big thing the cost though cat williams says is that often black men basically have to surrender the mask their masculinity in the form that in order to get these things get the specials get the the film deal get the money you basically have to feminize yourself and what he says is that basically most comedians who are where they are now at some point in their career have to put on a dress or have to put on a dress and makeup and heels and basically parade around like a woman in order for them or he says in order he, the way he framed it it was sort of like if you don't do it you don't get the package and he was saying why that's why Dave Chappelle or part of the reason why Dave Chappelle walked away was that they were trying to make him they were trying to feminize him or emasculate him in in a similar fashion and he talked about how in his own career as well that he'd been faced with he'd been faced with multiple film roles where they wanted really wanted him for the role but it was contingent on him having to wear a dress or wear makeup or portray a woman in, in any other way. And he would say, I really like the project. I just don't know why it's necessary to put in this particular bit and I can still do the role and still make it funny with without including this bit because it makes me uncomfortable for, you know, for obvious reasons. That's not his gender expression. So why would why would he be okay with that? And actually I just realized that my mic was off the whole time. So it was recording with my laptop. So I've switched it on now, but the sound is gonna sound a little bit different. So anyway, yeah, so Cat Williams says, you know, it seems to be a common feature, and he says it's not just in comedy world, it's also in the film world. And really when you look, you know, he does kind of have a point. When you think about really famous black actors and comedians and just entertainers outside rap and 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 sports i would say but just like comedy and film basically you think of like martin lawrence as big mama's house and then also another couple of roles you think of eddie murphy you think of Arsenio hall you think of tay diggs you think of wesley snipes oh you think of marlon and sean waynes for sure in white girls you think of jamie fox and then obviously you think of like tyler perry and that's just like me doing like a five second internet search of, of famous black men who have worn dresses. And, you know, I've also thought about it in the past because I'm, you know, I've, I've come across the concept in the past and thought that's really interesting. So the idea then is, is it like, 
Is it that more black men are, are overrepresented in the category of black men who don female attire as compared to their white counterparts? And honestly, you'd have to survey all films made and then look at like the status of the men and the roles that they play and then come up with a percentage. And I, I don't have that data to hand. I don't know how to quantify that. But as a, as a general concept, I would say it's something that definitely people believe and feel on a, on a base level. And to be honest, I've probably been, I've probably had those feelings as well. I remember I was standing in front of a, I was standing um, on the tube, like on the tube line. And I saw this poster of like uh, this poster for makeup being advertised. And it was basically like two women uh, advertising the makeup. And then the third person was a black man wearing like eyeshadow and mascara and lipstick. And I remember initially I had like a prompt, a feeling like I didn't like it. And I felt like it didn't feel good. It didn't feel positive. And then I started thinking, well, am I just thinking that because I'm being kind of homophobic in a sense and in, in that, you know, I'm... I'm having a visceral reaction that's prompted by my homophobia or is it because there's nothing inherently wrong about anybody wearing makeup but what I think is the problem and what I'm going to talk about in the episode is that often it feels demeaning it isn't done in a way that preserves the person's dignity or preserves the person's strength or preserves the other qualities that we typically associate as being intrinsic to male expression or 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 that men prize as valuable forms of expressing themselves. And really when we think about gendered expression, male gendered expression, I don't even think that we think like feminine qualities are inherently anti-masculine or anti-men. Like there's plenty of feminine quote unquote qualities that when we see in men, we really admire and it doesn't diminish them in any way or doesn't make us feel like they are somehow less of a, of a less of a man in any respect. And this comes across like so when you think for example in in how men dress and men who dress outside the jeans and a t-shirt or or chinos and a shirt or like tracksuit bottoms and a top sort of binary people like Johnny Depp who dress like who are kind of out there not out there out there but like out there more than the average man so Johnny Depp often will be donning like clothes where they're still masculine clothes but they'll have a feminine flair so maybe like he'll wear like a pinstripe trouser pairs of trousers with like a vest top and then he'll have a white shirt underneath but it's like a really billowy white shirt with frills you know or he'll wear like his he'll paint his nails black or he'll have he you know his signature look as we know is it's eyeliner he also has slightly longer hair and i don't think anybody thinks of thinks of um, Johnny Depp and things like that man is not masculine it's a different form of masculine expression but it's very much in the category of he's a masculine person and this is also true when we think about what Prince used to dress like Prince literally paraded around in heels and pinks and purples and yet nobody could ever say that he wasn't like a masculine person or he wasn't like a man or masculine because it was almost like he managed to change or expand what it meant to be a man and express yourself in a masculine way like and i think that was also helped by the fact that we all knew he got lots of women that women respected him that he had lots of money you know he very much still has his and also just the way he talked and the way he came across he was a very masculine person so it isn't so much like the dressing the 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 feminine and fire inspired clothes or feminine-esque clothes um that makes the person us feel like 
that person is less masculine. Outside shallow expressions of gender, even when we think about the qualities that we typically associate with women. We think about sensitivity, for example, or having high emotional intelligence. So we think of somebody who's like deep, it, like when it's expressed in in the in the man, we think of that person as being like a deep person or like a pensive person or even a cerebral pr person, and we see that sensitivity and that high emotional intelligence not as a feminine thing because it's expressed by a man. We see that as really desirable because it's a very balanced approach. They still have their their strength. They still have other qualities, but on top of that, they have like these extra qualities that are typically associated with women and it doesn't diminish them for it. And that's also the same thing with nurturing. So women go absolutely berserk when they see like a man a man who is who is visibly a nurturing person so they love for example seeing men who are really good fathers who really dote on their children who really take care of their children who really where you get a sense that they enjoy fatherhood and they enjoy the, the 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 process of raising a child or for example when you see a man and he's with like an animal let's say he's walking his dog people love that stuff because it implies that he's a caring person and again all these qualities are typically associated so nurturing sensitivity high emotional inte intelligence um, creative expression of fashion they're all things that you would think off the top of your head are typically associated with the woman or with the feminine but actually there are things that across that appear across you know all gender lines or both gender lines and just because they are expressed by the man in this way it, it doesn't inherently diminish them so going back to the feminization of black men it isn't so much that they are expressing typically feminine things or they're expressing themselves in a, in a typically feminine way because again when we see these typical feminine qualities expressed in men it can be widely wildly attractive and the person can still have our admiration and still have our respect so it's not that what the problem is is that the portrayal of black men in this way usually it's usually in a very demeaning and derogatory way both to themselves and also specifically to black women so often you think of them as being like super over the top like an unrealistic characterization of women specifically black women they're often portrayed as like stupid or silly or moronic and they are like ir irrational and one would describe even hysterical in the way that they're interacting with their male counterparts quote-unquote male counterparts on stage so it feels very much like a minstrel show where it's not white people putting on black makeup to portray black people in, a, in an offensive way it's like black men putting on ma putting on makeup and dresses and heels to portray women in a derogatory way so it always feels really unflattering because i think that that's the intention of it and that's the lens through which the characters are written and also i would suspect that's a lens through which the black men who portray these women feel about black women otherwise it's unclear why that's always the trope of when they portray women, black women. It's always through that lens of like being hysterical and 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 out there and unreasonable and just generally just not having desirable or flattering qualities. And to me, whenever I see that kind of content, when I see, and actually, you know, people say that Dave Chappelle has never worn a dress, but actually I went through the archives and I found like this really old video of him from the 1930s not 1930s from um not, definitely not 1930s from the 1990s i think it was the 1990s but it was, maybe it was like early 2000s but it was it, he was like really young in the video he's like 21 22 23 at most 
and he's doing this skit with like Howard Stern or with this Howard Stern character and he's wearing like what I assume is a dress because he's wearing like women's earrings he's wearing like pink pink or purple rip, like lipstick because again portraying women and again I didn't watch it on volume I watched it on silent just because I wanted to see him moving and not necessarily be influenced by what he was saying but it, it you know even watching it on silent you can just see that it's an unflattering portrayal you know like he's rolling his eyes he has big movements he's like engaging with the howard stern character in a very silly way the howard stern character is like you know just like an average man who's being a bit like you know a, a bit a bit silly but he's still quite visibly like a respectable character whereas the character that dave chappelle is portraying is like is like the silly stupid like out there woman basically so when i'm watching this content you know this particular video and also content like it in general i often just feel like it's just casual misogyny and for me it has like a lot of parallels with like really old racist portrayals of black people in films like you know when you watch like those old black and white films you'll often see like they'll have like tropes they'll have like a, a mammy character in there who does like all the nurturing or they'll have like they'll have like a stupid black man who's like who's dumb you know he can't do things right and i first noticed it because i actually no i tell a lie i tell a lie it wasn't when I first noticed this, it wasn't a black man that I saw. It was Asian men that I saw. So I don't know if it was like Breakfast at Tiffany's or it was like one of those like iconic black and white films that has like a really famous celebrity like like um, Audrey Hepburn or like a Marilyn Monroe, like somebody like that. I just forget exactly what and or exactly who. And I remember watching the, the film and, and noticing that the there was an Asian character, an Asian man who lived downstairs from whoever this person is, whoever this famous actress is. And he would go upstairs, basically, he'd be making lots of noise and they would have like interactions. And when they were interacting, he just was portrayed in such an offensive way. Like he had like really big bulky teeth, you know, his movements were like slow. They were trying to basically show that he was like stupid and like lazy and like couldn't do things right and like couldn't be reasoned with. And the actress was basically being super patient and super understanding of this guy who was just like crazy and unreasonable. And in modern, modern day times, I also notice it whenever I watch like gangster films or films that are have like a central character, like action films, where it has a central character who goes to save somebody or something. So think of even like the Denzel Washington film, films that just came out, like the number three just came out, which by the way, I don't know if that's like Denzel's best film sort of franchise. But anyway, in this sorts of film, I just remember the name of the film, it's Equalizer. So when you think of films like The Equalizer or Taken or fast and furious just any of these like action films you'll notice that they always have like a villainized foreign other so they'll have either like the crazy agents who are just evil and trying to do evil stuff or they'll have the eastern european evil people that are villains and gangsters that are just like irrationally and crazily just trying to like take down like the central characters who are often american or british or western and and other way um, and these are always tapping into like a racist stereotype of these characters. And again, the portrayals are always very um, offensive and unflattering. So when I'm watching these, these portrayals of black women, essentially by black men, that's the feeling that I get. I feel like it's that sort of icky feeling of like, I don't think it's coming from a good place. 
I don't think this portrayal is neutral and I don't think that it's good. I think it's 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 an expression of casual misogyny and I think everybody in that room must be okay with that expression of casual misogyny. Otherwise, they would stop and think and, and say, actually, not only is this not a realistic sort of impersonation or characterization or even making of a character of women, it's also just an offensive thing to do and also harks of just internalized misogyny that men carry and i also feel this way as well when i think about the modern portrayal of like of like gay men so for example when you see like gay men portrayed in films maybe it's like a little bit less now but certainly when you think about like the 1990s and what i always think about is like will and grace that i used to love that show and not will's character but will's best friend like they're always portrayed in a really feminized way but again that femininity isn't like the good aspects of femininity it isn't a femininity that's seen through positive lens it's femininity that's seen through a hateful lens in that they often make them like suit the opposite they position them as the opposite of the masculine so they make them like silly they make them like um frivolous they make them like promiscuous they make them like just like camp and bitchy and unflattering in that camp campness and bitchiness and again the the subtext of it is that they are always trying to equate the the concept of being a gay man white or black with the concept of being feminine but not feminine in a good way feminine in a negative way so for me it always feels like homophobic in that so for example like obviously there's all kinds of gay men all kinds of black gay men all kinds of white gay men and you could you could show them in a way that is gentle, you could show them in a way that's macho, that's masculine, that's camp, that's cerebral, that's alpha, because again, there's all kinds of gay men who express themselves in all kinds of different way, and actually probably the average gay man probably, you know, isn't camp or, or over the top or quote unquote feminine. So the fact that they always portray them in that way and portray them through an unflattering lens of being feminine to me feels like it's, it's an exposure of the person who wrote the role and their sort of like underlying homophobic um, expressions basically coming to us on the screen. And that's exactly the same way that I feel when I see these videos of men in, in dresses, of black men in dresses, but it also applies just to white men in, in dresses as well. I often feel as though what we are witnessing on the screen is the internalized hatred of women being expressed by that person. So back to the discussion over here about the feminization of black men, to me, the problem so much isn't, it's not that it's not true, and I'll talk about why that is, that black men aren't feminized. It's that when we're talking, having these discussions, we're also ignoring the fact that the black men in the scenes might very well be victims of their circumstances and that they're playing roles perhaps that they feel like they have to in order to get something. But what's also happening is that they're also reaping the consequences of their own misogyny in a way. And also not just reaping the consequences, but are also very willing to collude with white men to, at the, to the detriment of black women in that scenario. And not just only colluding with white men for at the expense of women. I also feel like when we're having these discussions, there's often like really dog whistly homophobic vibes around it. So I was reading this article on just preparing for this episode uh, on LinkedIn. And it was basically this man who was talking about the what I'm talking about, the feminization of black men. And he was he was talking about like all these adverts that he's seen he's showing like these pictures of like covers of SP of ESPN where it's like this really alpha 
big man with loads of muscles and like loads of abs and he's basically been squeezed into a wedding dress and behind him is like a white man and he's showing how visually of course that's going to have an impact on how you are perceiving the black man and how you are perceiving the white man and the relationship between them and the dynamics between them and it's obvious that you are going to associate strength and stability and normalcy with the white man and you're going to associate dysfunction or or oddness if we're trying to keep it neutral with the black man in the dress. So it's not that I disagree with that. I think that's pretty fair. What he goes on to say, though, is that this is basically an example of the attempt to make black men gay, which obviously then takes a massive pivot because, again, what they're trying to equate is they're trying to equate femininity with 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 gayness and that's just not i just don't accept that that's true it's just something that we see all the time but again it doesn't make it true and you can test this idea because you when you think about the way that for example that black people are shown to speak on tv it's not the way they speak in real life like they're not using slang they're not fist bumping each other they don't have all these you know what i mean it's just not a realistic characterization or when you think about how um how okay an example easy to easy to hand example when you think about like the 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 black best friend trope in films and and shows like they always show them as like sassy as being like supportive catty like basically just the perfect friend with like the right amount of sass but it's like i don't think that's representative of the average black person and when you continue to see roles that try to pigeonhole people in a way that feels sometimes icky and sometimes like not flattering then of course, you know, it's only natural to then think about why it is that we are seeing that particular portrayal of that particular person all the time. And in the case of black men wearing dresses, you know, sometimes people say like, we're reading too much into this, but ultimately with we, it's, it's intentional, it's done by design. And the reason it's intentional and done by design is just not even, it's not even particular to this issue. It's just when you think about the process that a film has to go through before it arrives on our television screen or before it's in front of us in the cinema, it goes through various channels and various um, people and gatekeepers and a lot of money is spent on it. So there'll be somebody who wrote the role. There'll be somebody, a group of people who perfected the script. There'll be people who finance the writers to write it if it wasn't written before it, it went to that stage to producers. There'll be a production company that has to read through the script and like come up with like wardrobe and like hire like supporting actors and background people and and they have to like rent spaces and they have to like do audience testing. You know, there's so many different levels that the process goes through that whenever we get something, whether we like it or not, or whether it's positive or negative, we can't say that it's just an act of of no agency, that it just basically came to be because, you know, a process propelled it forward or, or it was unintentionally or unthoughtfully done. No, it was done with a lot of thought. It's just that those thoughts we don't agree with. And there are many reasons to explain the, you know, the the phenomenon, if we want to call it that. And one of the reasons, basically, is just there's just fewer roles in general in Hollywood for men, whether it's in the comed in comedic roles or just in wider cinema in general. And because there are fewer roles, it means that when those actors are confronted with a script that is 
has a scene where they're uncomfortable with or they don't want to do or they feel like it's demeaning to their dignity because they're aware that this might be the only thing that they get that year or that there is very few other things coming up in the pipeline for them then there's of course this economic pressure to take on these roles that are demeaning to them in some way because they don't know the next time they're going to get an opportunity full stop sometimes the rationale is is that you know even if it is an unflattering portrayal at the very least i'm going to get my name on uh, a film i'm going to build a network i'm going to be able to have a connection with a director i'm going to meet other actors who might be able to connect me with future roles so they see it as, as an exploitative but necessary step onto their next step in the ladder another reason is because black men are going to have less negotiating power in general and this is because one there's just fewer of them which means they're less representative represented and which means that they're less likely to be in positions of power where they decide for example what film is being made which actors are being hired what script is being chosen what's being done in those films so when situations arise and there is a creative decision to put a man in a dress for example a black man in a dress then because they don't have that social capital that comes from occupying a position of power or having money and having invested in the project or being the production company or being the director or whatever it is then often it means that they have to accept the script as it is and have to basically take on the creative decisions of that director and that production company and that cinema and that um, and that um, production in general. And we actually also see this in, when we think about like women in, 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 film, in film and cinema in general, we also, lots of women talk about how because there are such few opportunities that they end up taking jobs that they're not happy with, where they're forced to do things that they're not happy with, and the whole dynamic is one of power and lack of power and that can mean that women end up for example like how many times have you seen full frontal nudity in a film and it's always the woman you'll see the woman's like breast you'll see her front you'll see her very exposed and in the same scene there'll be a man who has exposed very little and i'm thinking about training day because i watched that recently with denzel and you see denzel's uh, girlfriend who is even mendes plays her role and I watched it again on silent just because I like to watch things on silent sometimes when I've seen them before just to pick up on on like stuff. And I remember watching it and Denzel is like signing up and he has like he's fully dressed. He's wearing like a, a singlet, like a vest. He's wearing trousers and he's leaning over to hug her to, to give her a kiss goodbye. And I remember her taking the covers and covering herself or attempting to cover herself and i thought that was such an unnatural thing to do like if you're realistically if you're in a bedroom and you are with your lover and your lover is leaving and you've been your tits have been out the whole time there's no reason why you'd cover yourself you'd give them a kiss goodbye and you might even luxuriate in your nakedness in front of them because again you've literally just been intimate they've already seen you naked um and you're probably used to seeing each other naked. So why would Eva Mendes in that role cover herself? And it occurred to me that she, on a personal level, obviously was uncomfortable because don't forget as well when we're seeing these scenes, it's not just her in that position. Like she, it's not just her in that scene. So it's her and Denzel that we see on screen, but it's also probably like 20 dudes with cameras and sound equipment surrounding her. And of course you're going to feel vulnerable and exposed. And that's what I realized when she pulled up the cover to cover herself. I realized this is a human, human being who's in a position that she probably doesn't want to be in, exposing herself in a way that she probably feels like she has to do in order for her to get money, to get on the ladder of success basically. And that's exactly the same thing with black men as well. Think about the indignity of being a black man 
and you walk into a production company where probably the majority of people are going to be white in that dynamic. So the producers, the 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 director, like the people who like do sound equipment, like the people who like help get you dressed and do your makeup, like all those people are probably like ninety five percent white, and then. All the men who are going to be in that production, all the white men who are going to be in that production are going to be wearing trousers, they're going to be wearing tops, they're going to be wearing shirts, they're going to be dressing in a typically masculine way. And then you being the probably like one of the very few people of color, being probably one of the only few black men on there, has to go into hair and into hair and makeup and wardrobe and come out wearing a dress, heels, lipstick. Of course, you're going to feel vulnerable in that position because it's a vulnerable position to be at. And it's doubly vulnerable and exposing if your other male, black male counterparts are also there and they're witnessing you make a a fool of yourself, essentially, or doing something where you both understand on a basic level. Sorry, that was my uh, hotel alarm going off. Uh, where you both understand on a basic level that, you know, it's it's not a nice feeling, you know? It's like that moment where you're in a in a room with somebody and something awkward happens and you both just look at each other and because you ha- you share certain characteristics you both understand what's being ha- what's happening in that scenario and that it's not a good situation and you communicate that just from looking at each other and i think it's the same understanding when you're in that vulnerable position you know that the other people who share your characteristics also understand the dynamics of what's going on and that it's not a good dynamic so again you're being humiliated not only in front of the other black in front of not only in front of the other white people in the room who are allowed to stay in their masculine because that's their gender expression you're also being humiliated around your own black counterparts who all understand on a fundamental level how it how how robbing of one's dignity it is to be in that position and how inherently you already are vulnerable being in that position and and related to that is the fact that when these scripts are written they're obviously not being informed by the context so most things it's not really about what you're seeing on the surface it's about the context of what's happening so when you see a black man in a dress there's nothing inherently wrong with anybody any male person wearing a dress any man wearing a dress like at the end of the day it's just clothes it's more the subtext that makes it problematic so there's a history in america in particular of black men being emasculated in all kinds of ways so think for example when black men get stopped over disproportionately and they're in front of their families and they are being like stopped and frisked by this by this police officer and in that moment like the ra- the normal typical response if somebody was invading your privacy in a way that was unjustified would be for you to assert your dominance and be like hey back off but in this scenario you know that you literally have no power so you have to face the humiliation of not only being frisked in front of your wife but probably also your children or when you see for example like wildly overqualified black men in positions that are beneath them beneath their stature so you see for example immigrants who were engineers or doctors or whatever it is and in their country they studied probably for a very long time but because of the way the system of 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 educational dominance shall we say um, reveres white education and diminishes black education often people with african qualifications achieved in african countries aren't able to use their qualifications in in white countries and therefore you'll see like a doctor who's like a cab driver and there's nothing wrong with being a cab driver it's only wrong in that the person has spent probably 10 years studying and the only job that he can get is a job of somebody who doesn't need an education to get that job or you'll see for example people who are cleaners and you'll know you won't you'll find out they have like doctorate degrees. So again, that's other forms of emasculation, which means that 
black men and black people in, in general are going to be hypersensitive to anything that is going to diminish, diminish them. And in particular, black men are going to be very sensitive to anything that emasculates them because they're forced, they're faced with micro versions of emasculation in everyday life in like the everyday context but also historically they've also faced lots of emasculation anyway so that's why they're having an outsized response to seeing a man in a dress there's it's a disproportionate response even it's almost you would say an irrational response but when you understand the subtext of what's going on then it isn't irrational it isn't disproportionate it's a it's almost like a realization of like a fear they already have based on past experiences and so going back to the subtext of the writing, when these writers who presumably are white writers, because I'm guessing black writers wouldn't naturally want to include that kind of content anyway, when they're writing these scripts, they're probably obviously missing the subtext, I would hope, otherwise it would imply they're doing it intentionally, which means that they're not writing characters that are, that are going to be received well by black people in general, and that they don't realize are demoralizing to the people who are witnessing the outcome of that writing and also the people who are playing that role that they've written for them. And it almost just feels like the next generation of exploitation of black men in films or black people in films. So when you think about the like films in the 70s and 80s, you know, it was basically like you couldn't get a role unless like you were playing like a crackhead or you were playing a prostitute or you were just in general portraying some form of black dysfunction. So this feels like an extension of that. It feels like, okay, you can have your specials, you can have your films, but the cost of that is that you're going to basically have to play a woman in a way that robs you of your own dignity and also robs that woman of, of their of their dignity as well. And it feels as though because presumably these men would have a clue, would be pretty well tuned in and sensitive to what it means to the black community to play these roles, it must mean that they're doing these things because they don't have agency. Otherwise, presumably they wouldn't want to undignify themselves and undignify the the communities they serve and actually now that i say that out loud i remember watching a video where dave chappelle was talking about how most of the people who go to watch his show are white and he was talking he made like a joke like oh, i don't know why that is maybe it's just because you know they've got faster internet and which basically saying they've got faster internet so they buy tickets quicker and actually now that i think about it it might just very well be the fact that if you're going to take on roles that diminish yourself and diminish other people in your community, then those people aren't going to have good feelings when they're watching that content because that content is basically a form of microaggressions towards any black person who watches it to the black men who who hate being portrayed in this way, in this unflattering, hysterical way. And then also to black women who also hate being being. Uh, portrayed in this hysterical unflattering way and i think that's definitely one element that's often left out in these conversations is how the black women are being portrayed because at the end of the day at the same time that the black men feel as though they're being emasculated and they're being portrayed in a way that's not true or reflective of who they are and in a way that seeks to diminish them the flip side of that is that that's also what ha is also what's happening to the black woman who's being portrayed because there's in our society, we revere women who are feminine presenting, who are beautiful, who are soft, who are who just have that quiet, dignified grace of womanhood. And literally, these portrayals of women by men in this way 
whether it's through comedy, like like comedians in comedy shows, in films, or just like regular actors playing comedic roles, is that they're they're unflattering to women in that they're they're going to have like the physiques of men. They're going to be like masculine presenting. They're going to like be muscular. They're going to be basically ugly women. And the problem is that black women for a long time have felt as though they have been masculinized by the roles they've had to play historically, like being overworked, for example, not being able to indulge in like the like the self-care of that is that is allowed to other women things like just being able to be soft and being treated gently and being allowed to sort of experience that soft life basically that I was talking about in the last episode so they themselves are going to be offended when they're seeing themselves being portrayed in that way because it's not an image that they want to claim and it's again tapping into existing stereotypes about you know masculinized or mammy like black women and as i'm thinking about that actually i saw like an image of remember that film remember gone um coming to america where eddie murphy's best friend's character i think his name is simmy simmy plays like this woman who was like eddie's date when eddie goes out and he's basically wearing like this pink or purple dresser i think and like this light lipstick and he just looks like an ugly woman basically and then when he starts speaking he has like this really deep voice and then he's also very sexual like he's like over sexualized and that he wants he's very aggressive in the way he pursues the, the eddie's character and again these are all negative stereotypes that historically black women have been tainted with so of course when we're watching the, this content even if you don't realize it on a conscious level, on a subconscious level, it definitely is a microaggression and it definitely doesn't feel good to consume that kind of content. So in this case, black men are both victims in that they are their image is also being diminished, but they're also perpetrators in that they're also just tapping into existing forms of misogyny and casually expressing that misogyny to us. Um, I could probably talk about this for hours and hours and you know the episode is already at 45 minutes so I think I'm going to leave it here and pick up the rest of the sub points I didn't get a chance to cover in this episode in a future episode in the next few weeks uh, but until then thank you again for tuning in and catch you in the next episode.